Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships with me, Justin Hancock. This is the second part of my interview with Jacob Johansson and Bonnie Rambutan about their extraordinary and excellent and must-read book, Event Horizon. Um, following on from last week, if you haven't listened to last week's, this might not make very much sense, so probably listen to last week's first. Um, this show is uh, brought to you by my Patreon, my patrons, my Patreon, my patrons who support me at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships who pay for me to make the show. They get um, early shows. Uh, I give them different intros where I thank them for their for their continued support. Uh, I also do bits and bobs of extra content here and there and they can also chat about shows and chat to each other in our Discord. So if that sounds like something you want to do, please head over to culture sex relationships. Uh, Patreon, so patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships um, to support the show. Uh, okay, so this show, the second part of this show, we talk about selfies uh, and the uh, which we compare with uh, Lacan's idea of the, the mirror stage. Uh, we talk about cuteness, which is very interesting. It's all interesting. We talk about the sexual non relation, basically Lacan's idea that uh, it's not possible to have. Uh, uh, sexual relationships, which is really interesting, um, and heteropessimism, which is really great. It's all great, and um, we also expand on the idea of the erotic, bringing in Audre Lorde's work, um, her essay, uh, the uses of the erotic, which is something that Meg John and I have talked about on previous shows back in the day. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. Do buy the book. It's out on Zero Books. It's about eleven pounds. If you're interested in this podcast, you should definitely be buying this book. Let's support these books when they come out. Quite frankly, as well. Uh, but you should also definitely read it. Okay, on with the show, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Bye. But just to to move us on, I was talking about the subjects and objects, and so. Uh, I'd be really interested for you, for you to, to talk about some of the really interesting passages in the book, which is about um, selfies. Uh, and so, uh, and you you also talk about how um, you make a really great comparison between Lacan's idea of the mirror stage, but also uh, now the monitor stage. And also, the, again, later on, you talk about Narcissus and Echo, which I found really, really interesting. Um, again, another like broadly open question. Can you talk a bit about this, just because it's really interesting? Yeah, we, we can we can maybe start with with with, um, with selfies and, and then also kind of lead, lead over to to those other points as well. Mm. Um, you know, the the selfie is of course also is, is also sort of another uh, key part of our you know contemporary online culture. You know, mm. the, the other sort of being you know things like memes that we talk about quite a bit in the book as well or or you know the sort of you know very design of how how social media are designed uh, um, uh, you know all of that kind of also relates to to cuteness as well maybe mm -hmm. we can uh, kind of go into that yeah. as well in a minute but um the selfie you know is is one of kind of kind of key way of expressing ourselves online and very often in kind of popular commentary, but also in also kind of academics and so on, it's, it's kind of talked about uh, in relation to narcissism and mm. you know, that the selfie is uh, just another sort of example of how we have become so narcissistic. Mm. Uh, online culture is all about craving, you know, validation. We, we just want to get lots of likes. Uh, uh, we want to kind of have lots of followers um, and all of that. And that's true. 
on one level, but uh, there's also you know much more than that, and um, this also leads us back to you know this sort of uh, uh, idea of vulnerability that that Bonnie also mentioned earlier. Um, you know, we kind of approach the selfie through um, kind of arguing that that the 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 the, the person who takes a selfie and you know uploads a selfie to, to Instagram or whatever um, is you know a very sort of vulnerable being so so this is a really an, an, an expression of vulnerability um, and desire for recognition and and you know the selfie is a way of sort of I'm offering myself um, to uh, um, you know the other in, in, in sort of Lacanese, you know, this is an actual other person, but it's also to, you know, what Lacan calls the big other, mm-hmm. um, which essentially refers to a sort of symbolic authority or a kind of kind of sort of fantasy of an authority figure that, that can prop up my existence, that can validate my existence. Mm-hmm. And in, um, uh, in kind of, you know, showing myself through the selfie, I am you know, kind of expressing my vulnerability and that I want to be seen who I really am. Mm-hmm. And this is maybe the whole sort of tragedy of, of things, uh, going back to what we were to- saying earlier about big tech and so on, you know, there are constantly these promises made by uh, big tech and, and social media and so on that we can um, really represent ourselves online in the you know in, in in the way who we really are and you know we can really kind of show ourselves online how we really are and and you know mark zuckerberg says privacy is no longer a social norm it's, mm. it's not it's not a coincidence coincidence that he says that mm. so there's constantly this fantasy created um in, you know in, in silicon valley that we can um be who we really are on the internet and and we can be seen in that way by other people as well. No, no, mm-hmm. psychoanalysis really complicates that because you know we we, we don't really know who we are mm-hmm. uh, ourselves to begin with, so we can't actually um, you know present ourselves in that way online anyway. Uh, um, but gonna... um, the selfie is then you know an attempt to kind of do that uh, 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 and, and and to to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, to, to, to be, you know, we look at this through kind of Freud and, and, and Bacolo as well through, you know, this, this sort of idea of can't you see that I'm kind of a real, right. a real human being here. <laughs> so um, I'm going to, I'm going to add a bit, of, a bit of stuff that's not in the book because um, I've only been, been involved because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trans and I take a lot of selfies. Right. So, mm. but I was that involved, uh, yet when 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 we were writing the book but the thing is that i think there's a this is a, it provides a great example of this is that you know most uh trans people who take a lot of selfies they want to you know the selfie is a is is a is a tool for other trans people to say like okay wow congratulations you've you've gone through your your gender dysphoria you know you've you really you really made it work Right, you really made it made it work with with every kind of effort, and that's mm-hmm. why uh, the interaction between uh, trans people when 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 we post selfies it's very different because there's always this acknowledgement, this dimension of acknowledgement that's like, mm. yeah, 
um, good on you. You know, uh, I, I see you. You've worked so hard to 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 look like this. You've went against all odds to look like this. But on the other hand, of course, every time there are selfies, there's always a bunch of chasers in the in the replies, which is like fetishizing, uh, fetishizing the, the the trans people or adding them to these uh, or liking them or adding them to these uh, pornographic fetishistic lists, which is very. Uh, so that's a very jarring experience. Mm. I think it's. It's, uh, it's a great illustration of our point here. Like, Father, can't you see that I'm selfie? It, it means, it basically means that, you know, it's just like, I'm not, you know, I don't want you to to just think of me as this as this uh, pretty person in pictures and objectify me that way. You, I want you to see the struggle that I've gone through to, to you know, to, to actually look like this. And I feel that, uh, of course, this, this applies like way beyond, beyond uh, trans people and then people who, you know, struggle with with their body image issues with eating disorders with like those the, all those other things they you know we uh we post selfies they, they post selfies and the point is is just a call for recognition for the vulnerability and humanity behind it so we feel mm. that it's a very again again it's, it's a very um what do you call it i mean it's, it, it it has that 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 kind of usage, but of course, it's also something that can, you know, that that backfires in in objectification and people calling, calling it narcissistic and stuff like that. And then, of course, there's the whole uh, privacy issue. And then, so you know, the whole, <laughs> the whole thing, the whole thing becomes very complex. The whole plea for recognition, uh, the whole desire for for recognition becomes monetized in ways that are just, you know, uh, a lot of it is harmful. A lot of it is, mm. is just. Mm. perpetuating more power imbalance yeah i mean you you kind of articulate the really difficult um part of this is that uh that that selfies are and well the social media and the internet will generally are ways where we can uh do ourselves in that way and they are they offer us like safer opportunities for recognition in that way but it but it all gets, but it's a way of us freely, and you talk about this in the book, it's a way of us kind of freely and, and with abandon, giving our data, giving our information to these tech giants, you know, taking, taking, mm -hmm. our, taking our data, taking our, you know, mm -hmm. uh, capitalizing, uh, creating profit and capital from us. Um, but also the, when we're talking about selfies, the, can you talk about cuteness as well? Because I thought that was really an uh, interesting part of the book as well. The, the idea of cuteness is kind of the flattening of um, the image. Like, guess what? What? Uh, what it is that? Okay, is 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 the cuteness what what it is that capital is telling us we should look like, or or the, the kind of things that we should be striving for with the use of like filters and emojis and and things like that? Or where does cuteness fit in here? Yeah, so so um, we we kind of um, look we, we sort of sort of approach cuteness in in two different ways maybe one one is through um, uh, you know the, the other sort of sort of key thinker who we draw on in the book is is uh, Hiroki Azuma, mm -hmm. a Japanese um, a writer and cultural critic uh, who also draws a little bit on, on Lacan himself, but also then really sort of, you know, has really developed his own uh, ideas in relation to um, otaku culture. So, mm -hmm. so um, um, male, you know, fans uh, in, in, you know, in Japan, uh, predominantly you know, very sort of, sort of very kind of particular way of, of kind of expressing um, 
fandom in, in, or, you know, or kind of kind of being fans of you know, or, or certain uh, anime and, and manga um, uh, uh, content and, and, and products and so on. Um, and and uh, uh, Azuma develops this notion of the database, uh, mm. kind of kind of kind of animal, and, and, and of, of how uh, otaku um, come to collect, you know, endlessly kind of uh, collect images and data and and sort of characteristics, signifiers, you know, about their favorite characters, for example, and so on. Um, how they come to actually sort of store those in, a, in you know, sort of in databases, how they're sort of cat cataloging their, their kind of fandom. Uh, and this then um, influenced also how, um, you know, new manga series would be created to, to kind of, kind of uh, listen to, you know, the otaku and so on. And we take this to be a much more, much more sort of general dynamic of how the internet itself works on one mm -hmm. on, on, on one hand, uh, um, where we're all constantly sort of relating to each other through um, you know various sort of specific um, characteristics, uh, uh, signifiers, images uh, that are all that are all very very kind of schematic. Mm -hmm. um, and with that also then sort of comes this idea of cuteness, uh, because, um, you know, this is a sort of key aspect of, you know, kawaii culture uh, in Japan and, 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 and other countries as well. You know, there is a particular sort of understanding of cuteness and then how cuteness also translates itself into sort of manga and, and anime characters as well, and how they're drawn and, and you know, comics in, in general and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then we, we, we kind of sort of sort of talk about the history of that uh, in, in the book, but also we make the argument that if we look at the internet, how it is today, and if we look at um, you know, how social media are designed, um, all of, and, and apps as well, they are all um, really, really fundamentally sort of, sort of structured by cuteness. We just need to think about, you know, how we how Twitter works. It's got this, you know, it's got a heart button um, mm -hmm. where we where we like things, you know, through that way, um, or that, you know, the selfie uh, we spoke about just now. Uh, the selfie is very often also a kind of, you know, uh, uh, an expression of of the cute uh, uh, self or the cute photo, and and that we present ourselves in. Uh, terms of cuteness online, just also the, through the kind of language that we use, the, the kind of terminology that we use, uh, the you know um, emojis that we use, it's all very very kind of cute. It's all become you know very flat in in in, in that sense, mm. and that's um, of course uh, uh, sort of a design feature. It's how uh, online culture and, and so on has been designed. Mm. Um, but it's also then something we kind of, you know, come to kind of reproduce and something that we sort of desire uh, ourselves in a way, because cuteness is always, you know, it's something that's sort of harmless or it's associated with, with maybe ideas around childlike um, uh, kind of representation or, or things that are harmless. Mm. Uh, uh, but then 
there is also a certain kind of violence uh, uh, in that as well. That's 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 very very present. I don't know, Bonnie, if you want to jump in mm -hmm. and sort of go on from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think uh, also also a lot of a lot of this thinking comes from uh, Sian Guy, and also yes. uh, part of it from like Sharon Kinsella. Mm -hmm. But yeah, cuteness entails mutilation, not physical, not necessarily physical, obviously, but like infantilization, and then of course like baby talk is a mutilation of language and yeah. then you know um when like cute teddy bears you know you, you essentially mutilate the details of, of the fingers or, 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 of, or of the limbs you know so that it looks cute like round and 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 you know cuddleable and, and stuff like that you know it's 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 safe and it's because precisely because it's it's mutilated precisely because the parts that might have been dangerous or unpleasant or too too familiar, too vulnerable. They've all been they've all been reduced, right? And we believe that it's that this has a lot to do with the logic of uh, uh, of the database, as as you could mention with the Azuma, because once you put things into boxes, then of course things don't always fit into boxes. So you have to cut them up, you have to uh, dismantle them, you have to like uh, take them apart to arrange them and collect them in, in these in these familiar new database and then uh, you know and then so you could just reassemble them at, uh, at, at, at any point in the future right so we think that there's this kind of database logic at play here but also the fact that it's it's just um, you know uh, all of these things all of these acts of, of like observing of, of surveillance of, of collecting these things of communicating through tiny little objects um, of course, there's going to be a sense of a sense of cuteness there because we need it to we need to uh, we need the mutilation, the reduction of ourselves into images and data. We need that to feel to feel safe, uh, right? We can't just because it's not it's not 1984 where where you know uh, the the gathering of data is is just conducted by this huge overarching uh, big brother, which is very uh, very harsh, very. Uh, masculine and, and stuff like that no it, it's just it's cute the gathering of data like the the mining of ourselves the turning the reduction of ourselves into data that happens in cute ways right so i think right. i think they're they're in lives of violence yeah and, and yeah and, and also uh, you know we spoke about irony earlier or justin you mentioned you know cringe mm. posts or something you know mm. even though even th those things are cute you know mm. in a way um at the end of the day uh, irony and, and cringe you, that it's cute as well mm. so we have a we have a triad of uh, cute creepy and cringe mm. right yeah. cute is is you know when when we have enough enough of a safe distance of this image which is uh, enough of a safe distance so we could see it as uh, you know a quote unquote the, in the in its mutilated way which is safe but once we get too close we see uh, we see that it's actually not that, you know, we see the excess of this, of this image of this being, and then things start to get creepy when we get too close to too soon, right? Mm -hmm. And cringe is essentially when we try to be cute <laughs> online, but then the attempt makes it, you know, it, it just, it just gets too visible that we're trying too hard to be cute. And that's why we, that's when we call things cringe. Right. So there's this dynamic of, of all these, of, of all these 
emotions that are, you know, people take for, for granted. Usually it's just, it's mostly harmless. When we think of things as cute or, or cringe or creepy, well, creepy, not, not that harmless, but, but you know what I mean, right? But it's mm-hmm. actually, uh, it's interesting to think about how these kinds of aesthetics actually animates how, how the database, like how our ideology functions, how we see the world, how we understand the world and relate to each other. Mm. And then also, uh, you know, things like the old right, um, you know, the whole sort of sort of meme wars uh, of, you know, 2015, uh, 2016 and everything that was sort of going on on the internet then with uh, things like Gamergate, you know, mm-hmm. harassment campaigns all coming out of 4chan uh, uh, being, you know, orchestrated by the old right being, being uh, created by Trump supporters and, and so on those you know visuals and they were also very very cute and how they used um, you know things like paper the frog and and um, all all these sort of meme uh, visuals um, that was a very very cute way of actually um, you know spreading toxicity and and engaging in really really harmful and dangerous behavior and that has really shaped uh, the internet and had, has had sort of very, very lasting effects on uh, the internet that we, I think, still sort of, sort of deal with today. Mm. That's really interesting stuff. Um, I really need us to, to move on to, to, um, to sex itself um, and the, uh, given the title of the podcast, uh, although everything has been relevant to cultural sex relationships so far, but I would also like to talk about the sexual non-relation because mainly because I'd really love you to just explain it to me because I just have not, uh, uh, I've, uh, I don't think I've understood it or maybe I've understood it and not realised I understood it. But also to talk about the really interesting stuff you have to say about heteropessimism as well. Um, so can we talk a bit about this? So we first of all, we're talking about... We, you begin talking about this in the book by talking about incels and and the uh, the seeming impossibility that, that from their perspective their impossibility of uh, having a sexual relationship with anyone. But Lacan has a lot to say about the, the sexual relationship as well, generally. Right? Am I right? Um, okay. Um, yeah. So so. Um... This this idea of the sexual non-relation is a key sort of sort of Lacanian concept, and in a way, it also relates, or not in a way, it also relates to language and um, the symbolic order uh, itself. Um, mm-hmm. So these are all sort of sort of connected so because this, you know, a human being is kind of born into um, a world. And, and language that is already sort of existing, that is always sort of out there. Mm. Um, uh, uh, there, there. There is, you know, there is a kind of kind of kind of gap uh, there that we, you know, something we kind of spoke about earlier. Mm-hmm. And this gap also kind of expresses itself in what Lacan um, calls the sexual non-relation. Sometimes it's also called the sexual non, non-rapport. Or, uh, the, you know, there's a famous quote by him where he says, there is no sexual relationship. Mm. Um, and one, one way of kind of trying to untangle that is through, um, you know, very often commonly when we, when we kind of think about sexuality or how sexuality is depicted, 
in um, the media uh, or in kind of popular discourses and so on, it's sort of about um, harmony, uh, you know, union between bodies. Uh, if we if we talk about you know sexual intercourse and so on, it's mm -hmm. about sort of sort of um, um, things like ecstasy or or kind of complementarity um, and, and 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 stuff like that. Mm. Um, but for for Lacan, that never you know that can never really sort of take place because for him you know everything we do and and this certainly includes sexuality is always already um part of the symbolic order because we're sort of born into you know this ready-made uh, kind of kind of world with language and other structures and so on that includes sexuality that is always part of the symbolic it's part of um uh, uh, kind of, kind of uh, the symbolic order. Mm -hmm. So um, all we kind of do then is is kind of constantly sort of try to um, make sense of sexuality through, you know, language uh, 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 primarily, uh, but also through kind of you know developing, um, you know, particular uh, preferences, uh, particular. Um, sexual orientations that we give, you know, particular names, um, we describe ourselves or, you know, what we like and so on. It's all done through language um, in a way. And of course, there are, there are also other people, you know, very often involved and, and all of that sort of needs to be brought together uh, in a way. And um, for, for kind of, kind of Lacanians, um, sexuality is always sort of primarily a, a little bit sort of masturbatory. So, mm -hmm. so um, because in you know kind of kind of sexuality in a, a sexual encounter, if I am with another person with other people, um, I sort of turn the other person into an object. I you know I. Um, turn the other person also sort of into an image um, and you know sort of sort of it's very it's, it's very sort of complicated stuff but you know in sex it's also kind of about me um, having you know the fantasy or the experience that you know I'm giving someone else pleasure mm -hmm. um, someone else is feeling pleasure because of me mm -hmm. um, and the other person thinks the same right. but that um, you know, sort of makes sort of sexual intercourse always a little bit solitary in a way for Lacanians uh, um, because I'm sort of slightly kind of objectifying the other person, but the other person does the same with me or the people do the same with me. Um, and and then the, uh, in, in kind of trying to kind of um, describe uh, sexuality also kind of kind of it also you know lead, relates to kind of things like um, uh, you know activism around mm. sexuality or, or kind of identities around sexuality um, and so on you know such as feminism or things like that mm. um, all I'm doing there is I'm trying to kind of um, cover over uh, that there is actually no um, 
foundational that there is no kind of kind of original sort of relationship or kind of sexual relation that I have with with someone else. Uh, I'm using various kind of um, words or fantasies or or things like that to kind of cover over this um, what what Lacan means uh, by by sexual non-relation. I don't know if that that was a very long answer. I don't know if that clarifies things or if you want to add anything uh bonnie um um yeah no i think i think you got you got all the all the points there mm-hmm. essentially is is basically so sexual non-relations means that we can never have the exact same experience right we can never have yes. the, the exact mm-hmm. fantasy we never you know uh have a one-to-one correspondence between uh me and my and my sexual partner or partners um about what we are experiencing, what we are fantasizing at that point, right? So there is no, there is no kind of this objective, objectively existing relationship. That's what it means by uh, sexual mm-hmm. non-relation. Yeah, I mean that does that does make sense. I think I've, I think I've kind of got it now. So thanks so much for that. Um, I think it's important to kind of to get that in order to to then talk about the next bit, which is heteropessimism, which is, I guess. Because people can't, so is am I right in thinking that um, because people um, are seeking to cover over the fact of the sexual non-relation and that there may be kind of like maybe that is like a kind of a uh, a lack they can't uh, meet that in attempts to cover it up they they there are other things that the other kind of like explanations for the sexual non-relation. Uh, and so we move on to heteropessimism, which is often, which is something we hear a lot about, which is, um, you know, and you quote from this in the book, and I can't remember exactly what you say, but it's to the effect of, uh, oh, imagine being, uh, imagine being straight or, you know, uh, it's it's straight men who are the problem, aren't they? And imagine being, imagine being on a date with someone who was straight, God, why would you do that? And that's like a kind mm-hmm. of a, a queer response. I think many of my listeners will be familiar with uh, mm-hmm. to the, the problems of, heterosexuality and so it's referred to as heteropessimism but you say so heteropessimism isn't the issue it's it's heterosexuality itself isn't it that is the problem uh could you expand a little bit on that too and and how what that how we might kind of go about doing away with with this and and how we might how we might come to terms with the sexual non-relation okay um Okay, I'm. I'm sorry. Um, there's a call for prayers in, in my end. Is this is oh. this disturbing or can, uh, can you hear? No, it's fine. Hear. It's fine. I can hear. Yeah, uh, it's fine. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, so um, essentially, heteropessim by heteropessimism, we mean that again, uh, basing off of the sexual non-relations. There's a lot of uh, a lot of rumors going going. Not rumors, but you know, a lot of narratives going around that. Uh, 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 a a non uh, a non heterosexual relationship is more uh, can be more authentic or better mm. somehow that uh, you know uh, that that the fault of the fault of the sexual non relation is actually because you're heterosexual you know stuff like that so essentially still uh, still taking heterosexuality as a as a master signifier as a as a as something that's uh, comparing non heterosexual relations to um, which is 
you know, which is again, it's it's quite it's quite insidious because on the one hand, yeah, there there are there can be some funny jokes to be made. Like, sure, you know, we're you know, in my, um, I'm having this this kind of healthier or better relationship compared to all of these all of these straight people, and you know, we could laugh about it. Mm-hmm. But of course, and then again, that's the uh, it can be fuel for, and it has been fuel for people for like homophobia and like transphobia and, and all of these things, right? Because people then think that we have better access to uh, to desire, to, to enjoyment essentially, mm-hmm. which is definitely not the case, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason that, that we are that we are questioning this this kind of uh, why are we still why are we still um, why are we still putting heterosexuality on a, on a pedestal, even if that pedestal is like buried in the ground, even if that pedestal has been destroyed, but it is still there as a as a point of reference, right? Mm. But the thing is mm. that thing is that we we I think we need to go further because once we realize that the sexual uh, relationship does not exist, once we once we realize the fact of the sexual non relations, that is just you know uh, essentially uh, uh, quote unquote solitary fantasy uh it's quote unquote the linguistic game then mm. you know there is nothing natural there's nothing nothing default about heterosexuality once we realize that that um we, that, this is this is how how i feel that you know of course a lot of people criticize uh, psychoanalysis for being like phallocentric and stuff like that mm. and of course it, it's uh, it's it's justified uh, seeing the uh seeing the history of psychoanalysis definitely justified but i think uh this this reading this particular part of of lacanian uh theory is very liberating in a sense that okay so so if if we are uh as linguistic subjects as linguistic beings if our sexuality is just fully a construct then there's no reason at all to put heterosexuality as the default or on a pedestal we can acknowledge we could just own up to the sexual non-relationship and we could say that hey it's just as as <laughs> as unpleasant you know uh homosexual relationship or, or other kinds of sexuality mm-hmm. are just as as unpleasant as as heterosexual ones but then mm-hmm. it's free you know we could actually explore further we could actually stop using uh heterosexuality as 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 a as a default yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also, and also, and also, kind of um, other, you know, sort of descriptors of of, of sexuality as well. You know, we any sort of um, uh, you know descriptor of uh, uh, forms of sexuality we could do away with from a sort of Lacanian Lacanian perspective. You know, that includes queer uh, sort of forms of, mm-hmm. of sexuality as well, because they are always trying to kind of grapple with. Yeah, with 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 the sexual relation in 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 that in that uh, in, in that sense. Sure. <laughs> so um, let's talk about Audre Lorde and the uses of the erotic, uh, because I kind of feel like so. This is in the in the final part of the book where where you're seeking to kind of to to find some ways out to find new ways of thinking, um, new ways of ordering uh, and and ordering society where we might have jouissance in uh, in different ways. So in the uses of the erotic Audre Lorde, and this is something I've talked about on previous podcasts, on previous shows with uh, with Meg John, when it was the Meg John and Justin podcast, we talked about this essay a lot. Um, So can you talk about 
your take on this because I think this is like a kind of a a a, a counter to the sexual non-relation uh, and the ways that and the more broad ways we might think of the erotic. Um, uh, can you can you talk about what the, some of the solutions I guess or the the not solutions or the uh, the provocations or the the questions or the the potentialities of of, of uh, that came from your book and and uh, and Audre Lorde's work. I think we, we we maybe we don't want to give away uh, uh, too much of the right. book's conclusion because we want people to you know, buy to, to buy the book. But um, you know what I think one sort of sort of uh, idea that we arrived at you know after the uh, finishing the you know final chapter before the conclusion was you know what do we you know what do we do now where do we go from here and mm -hmm. in a way um, as we were also saying just now we have to move away from slightly move away perhaps from a Lacanian take as well although we still remain very Lacanian in the conclusion but we have to certainly move away from um, thinking about you know um, sort of sort of it's 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 not just uh, the, the solution is not just to sort of come up with new narratives or mm. to come up with new you know what in, in the Canyon terms will be called new master signifiers so mm -hmm. that we just need new sort of concepts or new um uh you know sort of sort of ways of explaining things and then 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 you know revolution will happen you know that's mm. that's not going to that's not going to uh happen um but another way of kind of thinking about that was then through lords the older lords text because um, you know, one um, um, kind of kind of argument from the book is that we need to broaden our, you know, we need to broaden kind of our understanding of, of sexuality. I think that's I think we are saying that, and and you know that's certainly what Lord does in her, you know, in the in the in the, in the text um, through, you know, specifically. Uh, not writing about you know the sexual or or something like that, but the the erotic, which um, you know really also goes beyond um, sexuality in, in in itself. And maybe we could sort of describe it as a sort of freer mode of of being in the world, or a kind of kind of you know um, sort of sensual way of relating you know to our own bodies and relating to others in this world um and you know lord uh, gives examples of you know for the erotic such as you know having an idea or or um uh, uh you know dancing and and mm -hmm. things like that which we probably wouldn't associate you know with with eroticism in a more sort of common mm -hmm. understanding Building of the term. <laughs> yeah um so 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 it's about kind of kind of how can we find or develop more kind of relational ways of being and and um in the conclusion we we unpack this through lord and then also through you know the poet uh, richard seeken mm -hmm. and and mario matsuda as well those three i think they really helped us to you know, go beyond um, uh, um, 
more sort of sort of traditional ways of thinking and and uh, kind of thinking about what would the the Santom, you know, what Lacan calls the Santom, what would that actually look like? How would it what would it look like to sort of um, embrace the politics of the of the Santom? Mm. Um, yeah. So um, in the conclusion of the book, again, without without giving uh, anything away, it's not we're not aiming to have. A political program, or a set of, uh, or a set of like you know, uh, rules, or or whatever uh, that that we that we need to follow, but it's it's more like we, we we want to present a set of ideas and a set of questions that would will make us will will make readers, you know, in the hopes of making readers open up their imaginations to other possibilities of thinking, right? Because we feel that um, so far. The way that that a lot of people approach today's problems is is that is is basically um, taking taking the lack taking the uh, the uh, sexual non-relation and, and and other things like the gap the, the the lack in our society and the first thing the first thing that people uh, tend to do is to okay so what kind of ideology can we use to actually cover over this lack right, right. what kind of uh, what kind of new values, what kind of new sets of rules can we actually make a foundation to, to cover over this like and then come together underneath this, this one banner, this one, this one flag and just, just, just you know, uh, fight under that kind of ideology. So we kind of question the assumption that uh, every revolution or every change needs, uh, needs to proceed in that kind of way. Mm. Uh, so that's why, again, with, with Mari Matsuda, with like Audre Lorde and Richard Seacan, we're kind of exploring ways that are less uh, masculine, way, ways that are less, uh, you know, phallocentric, uh, so, so to speak, you know, mm. ways that are a lot more oriented towards, uh, like, why don't we embrace this, this gap? Why don't we embrace the fact that we are incomplete and inconsistent, essentially? Why don't we embrace these kinds of existing contradictions within ourselves? Why don't we embrace this kind of uh, vulnerability, like radical vulnerability, which, which in Audre Lorde's text, that's the erotic, right? I mean, again, if we say uh, sexual non-relation and that's like uh, fundamentally uh, solitary, it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, that's why, uh, you know, I think we, we have somewhere here like beyond the sexual uh, non-relation. What we mean by that is essentially that even if our fantasies, does, uh, our fantasies do not have a one-to-one correspondence with one another there's still a universal experience of vulnerability there you know and even if the vulnerability is different of course it's it's informed by like certain uh differences of, of experience of race of gender of class and all of these things but there is that kind of vulnerability still and we could look into how we are all still radically uh vulnerable radically you know, facing the, this this kind of void within our subjectivity, mm. and why don't we just acknowledge that and start with that instead of trying to cover cover over that? And which is why, in in Marie Matsuda's text, for example, um, she I, I love how she talks about uh, fights and revolutions on the streets, not as some kind of like, you know, just just keep the faith, you know, just just like go to the streets with this fiery passion, like you know, uh, things will happen, and just have have faith all the time. No. Uh, the fundamental, uh, the crucial emotion when you take to the streets is doubt, is fatigue, which is why, uh, but you know, it just has to stay on the table. The possibilities needs to stay on the table. That's what it's about. You know full well that you're, you're, you, you taking the streets now might not matter 
to you. It's not about like this ideology that's gonna win. It's mm-hmm. just about that embracing that vulnerability because you can't tolerate the alternatives, right? Because precisely because there's no sexual uh, relationship, precisely because we are living in a kind of like uh, in this uh, facing the void every day, facing the uh, facing the contradictions of our of, of capitalism and of our being every day then why don't we start with that? Why don't we try to imagine futures based on that kind of universality? Mm. That's where we're trying to uh, aim this book at. Well, that's really, really interesting. And um, and this conversation has just barely touched on some of the, on, on some of the topics in the book. If you, if you are a regular listener to this show, you should definitely just buy this book. Like there is just so much in this. Uh, it's uh, you know mine is just uh, I've written through it. It's got post-it notes all the way through, and I and I'll definitely be reading it two or three or four or five more times because like it's important to um, it's going to be important in my work, and uh, and uh, I think you will find it interesting, dear listener. So I'll put an, a a link to that in the in the show notes so you can go and buy it. It's also affordable, uh, unlike uh, some of the last books I had on uh, previously at the. Uh, the academic books I had at the end of the last series, uh, ah, at the end of the year. Um, so you can buy it from zero books for about £11, I think. So um, just to say, Jacob and Bonnie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for, so much for patiently explaining uh, Lacan and for introducing me to these ideas in the first place. It's, it's really uh, valuable for me and um, really enjoy chatting with you both. Thanks thank so you. much. Thanks.